The person who led me to Christ was my friend James Grindy. What was special about James is that he loved like Jesus loved, and I didn't know that that was Jesus' love at that time in my life. So the people who um, introduced me to Christ were my parents, uh, the greatest people I know. Um, I was about in first grade when my father was rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery and all up until then my dad was very consistent in telling me um, and talking to me about the process of becoming saved and giving my life over to Christ and um, being a dramatic child I always thought it was this huge ordeal not just something simple as a prayer so it really made me nervous. In my life I was a football star at my school. Uh, I had many accolades in football, all conference all-American and really I had it all to the person on the outside looking in but I was empty inside and what was really so special about James is that he didn't care about all that stuff. James was a walk-on on the football team and not necessarily the most athletic person. After my dad got home from the surgery, from, from being in the hospital for two weeks, one night I just crawled out of bed late at night and I went into the room like, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And my dad, who had just had major surgery, climbed out of bed and got on the floor with me and prayed the prayer. And I'll never forget that moment because it was like a big deal for him to get out of bed. What James did for me is he showed me that Christ really did love me and that Christ was real. And he didn't necessarily have all the answers, but I think the answers spoke through his life because he was always so joyful and I just really wanted that. And eventually Christ grabbed a hold of my heart through James just being James and um, loving on me and never giving up on me. And my dad's always just been this incredible person who's super strong in the Lord and super wise and always encourages me um, and builds my, my faith and my knowledge. Um, so he's completely changed my life um, forever and uh, very grateful for, for everything he's done for me. James. Man, if you could ever hear this, I know I've told you before, man, but uh, thank you for giving me the best thing I've ever had. And, uh, and I'm forever indebted to you. And um, I, there's like, what can I say to you, man? Like, I owe you everything. And just thank you for loving me, man. And thank you for never giving up on me. And, showing me that that's part of what faith is all about. Thanks, James. Thank you, Dad. You changed my life. You introduced me to an amazing Heavenly Father, and um, couldn't be more grateful for that. All right, welcome, everybody. All right, um, that was an awesome video. We videoed a couple of our lead team members and asked them this question, who was it that led you to the Lord? Who was it that was in your life that was instrumental? Who was the person that led you to the Lord? And if we're all honest in here, right, there is probably somebody in your life that led you to Christ. There's somebody in your life that spoke into your life in a way that nobody else did and led you to Jesus, right? And this whole series is called You Found Me. You found me. 
And it's about the fact that Jesus is so intent and so um, focused on his people and on pursuing his people and on finding and saving the lost. That's his whole goal. That's his whole mission. It's all he cares about. It's all he thinks about. Even in heaven right now, it's all he can think about is pursuing and saving the lost. And um, we titled it, You Found Me, because no matter uh, who you are or where you're at in this room today, um, somehow, some way, Jesus found you. And if not, um, if that's not the case for you tonight, and maybe you don't know Jesus yet, um, I just want to tell you right now um, that he is always going to be pursuing you. It's a little awkward, but it's true. And that he will go after you until he finds you. But for most of us in here, the story probably is this, okay? Um, you know, you were doing life your way, okay? The, way that be the best way that you know, knew how. And maybe for you, your story looked something like um, you were caught up in partying. Maybe for you, it was, uh, your story was that you were caught up in success or trying to do, um, you know, be uh, the best type of person you could possibly be, but you were failing a little bit at it. Uh, maybe your story was that, um, you know, you, you were excited about money or you were excited about the college experience, right, and really getting into that. And then um, this man comes along and interrupts your life, rudely, I might add. And his name's Jesus, right? And he steps in, you know, you're just doing your own thing, your way. And he steps in and interrupts your life and um, finds you. He pursues you until he finds you. And um, this whole series is based out of kind of my prayer over a verse in Luke 15 where Jesus is talking about his posture towards the lost. And he's talking about how he feels about lost people. And um, the Pharisees are sitting around him and they're asking him, what is your deal, Jesus? Okay, because you seem really, really, really into these people that are unreligious and that are um, outsiders. You seem very consumed with people that are lost that just don't. Um, quite get it. And so what's your deal? And Jesus um, answers them like he almost always does with a parable. And so uh, this is it, Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, the Pharisees are aghast and they're complaining because um, this man welcomes sinners, okay? Like most of us, right, like we're down on 16th Street and we see a sinner, right, and we're like, oh, like little smile, <laughs> Kurt smile. Or like they're coming into church, right, and we're like, we'll give you a bulletin. And it's like, no, 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 like Jesus hangs out with these people, he chooses to spend time with these people, and um, they're, they're frustrated. They're aghast. They're like, not only do you, um, you know, acknowledge the sinners, but you, you welcome them? Excuse me? And Jesus says this to them. He says this. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep, and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 and go into open country to go after the uh, lost sheep until he finds it? And everybody's keying in right now because lots of people deal with sheep in this society. So everybody's kind of leaning in, and they're like, okay, so I have 100 sheep. All right, Jesus, keep going. And he says, and when he finds it, when he finds this lost sheep, 
He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors and he says together, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you in the same way, um, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, so Jesus tells this story and he says, um, you understand if you have 100 sheep and one of them, just one, gets lost and it gets out there on its own, away from home, you would leave the 99 and you would go after it because you know that if you don't, it's in imminent danger, right? Like there's animals out there, there's lots of different things. And then I love this because Jesus says, and then once you find it, he goes, I'm going to pick up that sheep. He's talking about his posture towards lost people. He says, I'm going to pick up that sheep, I'm going to put them on my shoulders, and we're going to go home and we're going to throw a party. And I love that because I think about like when I get home, right, and I see my daughter and it's been a long day and I like scoop her up in my arms and I like kiss her until she's like, ugh, like too many kisses, right? And I like, you know, and I just walk around the house and talk to her like the entire time. Like this is Jesus' posture towards this lost sheep. He says, I scoop it up and I put it on my shoulders and then I carry it home. And then we throw a party. And then he says this, in the same way, I tell you there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And so I'm not into titling my messages, but I titled tonight this, where there is love, where there is the love of God, there will be finding and there will be tending of sheep. It's a long title. Where there is the love of God, there will be finding and there will be tending of sheep. Because Jesus tells this story because he wants us to know that when someone gets lost, it is a calling all cards, cars incident, okay? Everybody is on the map. Everybody needs to know we are dropping everything and we are, go we are leaving everything behind. And we are going after that one until we find them. And this is your story, you guys. You are in here tonight because Jesus pursued you, okay? And we sing a lot of songs that are like, I'm running after you. No, Jesus ran after you. He pursued you. That's why you're here. Scripture says in Hosea that he wooed you, that he allured you into the wilderness so that he could speak tenderly to you. He pursues you, and when he finds you, his heart is joyful and he is overwhelmed. And in this series, you guys, what we are going to attempt to do over the next three weeks is to gear our hearts in a way where we see, Lord, we are going to join you in your pursuit of lost people because you have pursued me this way. And so tonight, as I'm... Um, as we get into the message and I start get rambling, whatever, if you guys could just please um, direct your hearts towards the Lord and say two things. Say, Lord, um, give me a heart like you have for lost people. And the second thing is this, Lord, who's in my life? Who's in my life right now in my circles that needs what you got? And so um, if you could just rattle those two questions off tonight as we journey through this um, sermon. That would be awesome. Let's pray and welcome the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this body of believers. And I pray, um, God, that your love would be on display tonight. More than anything else, I pray that it's your love, God, that's on display.
And I pray, um, God, that we would uh, come to understand you more, that we would come to understand our part in your story more. And um, Father, we love you. I thank you so much, God, for pursuing me. Uh, I pray that I do uh, you justice in your word and give you permission, God, to use the stage tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I want to give you some snapshots of a man named Peter and Jesus's relationship, his friendship, and his pursuit of this man, Peter. And I want to give you snapshots of this dude's life because here's the deal. If you've been in church for any amount of time, right, you hear about this guy and it kind of, his story goes in one ear and out the other, okay? Like, because you've heard it so many times. You're like, oh, it's Peter. Is there a spiritual lesson? You know, like... You've heard it enough, and so I want to give you some, some tidbits of his relationship with Christ because here's the deal. They had such an intimate friendship and such a beautiful relationship that we kind of just skip by sometimes, and I want you to understand Jesus' intentionality in pursuing Peter. Have you ever um, had someone in your life that you were like, I am going to meet that person. It's probably the opposite sex, right? <laughs> and like you don't care what it takes. Like you, you like you see them across the room at young adults or at church or something and you're like, "Oh, hey." And you don't care what it takes. You don't care. You're like, "I will meet them. This is this is happening," right? And so and so you decide to do what any normal person would do, and you find out what they like to do. And so if it's rock climbing, like, you don't care. You're like, I'm afraid of heights, but Lord, we are going rock climbing with this guy, okay? <laughs> you know, or if it's like, you know, you find out they belong to Bally's, and it's like $2,000 to join for the year, you're like, done, credit card, right? <laughs> like, and then you show up at the gym like, oh, hey, I love working out, you know? And, like, you will do anything to meet these people. You know, or maybe you don't like dogs, right? But you find out this person likes dogs, and they Instagram themselves at, you know, the dog park, and you're like, oh, okay. And you, you know, coincidentally show up at dog park with, like, a dog you rescued for a day. <laughs> you know, like, you will do whatever it takes to meet this, this person. And I know that we're like this because this was me, okay? Um, uh, <laughs> Borderline stalking, but we're going to call it intentional pursuing, okay? <laughs> okay, so this was me a few years back, and uh, my husband is a drummer at Red Rocks, and I was, um, you know, in my young 20s and coming to Red Rocks for the first time, and I see him up on the stage, and a couple of my girlfriends were talking about him, and I was like, oh, and you know, girls, you know that emotion where you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, right? And I'm like, I've like, got to meet this guy, right? And so I find out two things about John. I find out, one, he is in a band. And I'm like, done. I am going to his show, you know? And then I also find out that John is really good at building websites. And um, so I'm like, sweet. I've got plan A and I've got plan B. So first comes plan A. And girls, you know what you do where, like, you get your outfit. Like, you buy an outfit. Like... Guys, if you don't know, like, this is what we do, okay? And, um, and you show up. So I buy this outfit. I show up at the show. And then I'm like, where can I stand where he's going to see me? <laughs> Hi. 
right? And, and, and I'm like, oh, sweet, I'm going to meet him tonight. Like, this is happening. And he gets down off the stage, and he goes, and I'm like, you know, kind of like not, you know, following too close because that's awkward. And, but like trying to get close enough to talk to him, and I realize that he's there with another female. And I'm like, oh. and I'm like, well, okay, plan B then, right? <laughs> And I remember telling a friend this, and this is how arrogant I was at the time, but it's a true story. I go, yo, girl, I go, he just needs to talk to me. And then this girl will be bye-bye, and I will be in the picture, right? And so, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I wasn't saved yet. And so, <laughs> no, I was This is issues. So, okay, so, so I'm like, cool. So plan B, right? I, I need a website. For I'm going on a mission trip to Africa with a girlfriend. And so I, I, you know, kind of, you know, I get, you know, in touch with John at some point. I'm like, hey, can you help me build a website? I'm going on a mission trip and whatever. And what we ended up doing that night was like, you know, talking on the phone for like five hours. And, um, you know, fast forward six years later, we're married. We got a kid. Things worked out okay. Um, You know, but I was thinking to myself, I was thinking to myself, gosh, Jess, like, you did a lot in order to meet that person. Um, and I was thinking to myself this, and have you ever wondered this? How much did Jesus, or to what length did Jesus go to in order to meet you? Like, like what did he do? And how did he arrange your life in order to meet you? And could it be possible that he was willing to do anything to meet you? And you think about the circumstance in which you met Jesus, okay? Maybe it was, um, you know, you were down and out in life or you were at, you know, you met some friend or like reconnected with some friend and then Jesus met you and you think, oh, that was an interesting circumstance. No, it wasn't a circumstance at all. It was a setup because he wanted to meet you. And in Luke, we read about Jesus meeting Peter for the first time and his intention towards Simon Peter. And it's just You guys, it's just beautiful. It says this, Luke 5. One day as Jesus was standing on the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also called Peter, and asked him to put the boat out a little bit from shore. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Okay, excuse me. These fellas had been fishing all night, right? All night. And um, it says, scripture tells us they didn't catch anything. And so they're mending their nets and they're washing their nets for the next day, okay? And Jesus gets into Peter's boat, okay? He gets into his environment and he pushes out a little bit from shore. And, you know, the guys go back to washing their nets, but it's one of those circumstances where you know, okay, Jesus has this huge crowd and Peter's over here mending his nets, but you know he's like curious because everybody truly deep down wants to know Jesus. They want to know who he is. And it's like, you know, I don't know if this is you, but at, like, my family gatherings at Thanksgiving, there's always someone who, like, you know, doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. But the moment you start talking about them, they're, you know, chopping turkey in the kitchen, and they're like, hmm? You know, they're curious. And that's Peter in this moment. And it goes on, it says this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, put your net out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Have you ever had somebody tell you how to do your job? (laughs) 
you know? It's like your coworker's first day, you know, and they come in and they're like, oh, if you control Alt-9, you can fix your computer problem. And you're like, excuse me? Like, you don't know me or my computer, you know? Like, thank you. This is Peter in this moment. He is the fisherman. Jesus isn't, right? And Jesus is like, this is how I'm going to get this boy's attention. And he says, um, throw your nets out onto the other side of the boat. And Peter, you can sense like his frustration. And I love this because the relationship is so real. And he's like, okay, um, we've been fishing all night, Jesus. Thank you. Okay. Didn't catch anything. We're, we're the fishermen, right? Um, but because you say so, because you say so, sure. And so they flip the nets over the boat. Sorry, I lost my place. Here we go. <laughs> when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boat so full that they began to sink. You want to get the attention of a fisherman. This is how you do it. Okay? And you got to understand that anytime Jesus is performing a miracle for someone, it's not just about the outward miracle. He is using the outward miracle in order to get access to a person's heart. Jesus isn't giving Peter a boat, that is, two boats sinking full of fish so that he can be like, Peter, be blessed, you know, have a good day, and we will talk to you later. Keep living life as usual. No, he gives Peter two boats sinking with fish so that he can have access to Peter's heart. And in that moment, Peter understands a myriad of things about this meeting. And you know, spiritually, when stuff is just coming to you so quick, that's what's happening for Peter right now. And it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that was taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled up their boats on shore and they left everything and they followed him. Peter is struck by Jesus. He is absolutely struck by the person of Jesus. And I love this story because Jesus is so personal in his pursuit of Simon Peter. He pursues Peter, he finds him, and he wants to help him, he wants to restore him. And then he says to him, come and follow me. And Peter is so taken with Jesus in this moment that he goes and he follows him. And um, I think it's interesting because following Jesus in this circumstance, okay, when he says, come and follow me, following Jesus doesn't mean ten, reading 10,000 books about how to do Christianity better, about how to become more righteous. Following Jesus means following him, and then he pursues people the way that Jesus pursues people for the rest of the Gospels. That's what he does. And he watches. You guys have to picture this because for three years... <laughs> Peter follows Jesus, and he sees every single human interaction that Jesus has, and he realizes something. He pursues everybody the way that he pursued me. He reaches out, and he, and he touches people in the same way that he reached in and touched me. He is intent, and he is so personal in his pursuit. And tonight I wanted to talk to you about a couple of ways that Jesus pursues people. Because I think if we are going to join Jesus 
and the way that he pursues, we should know how he pursues. And we can learn a lot from Peter's story. And so the first thing is this. Jesus pursues people. Whenever he pursues them, he gets in their business. He gets in their business. And here's what I mean. When Jesus met Peter, he met him on his territory, okay? It was not a synagogue. It wasn't a church. It was at a sea. It was on the sea in a boat. That's where he met him. And I think for a lot of us in here, you know, sometimes we hear the phrase like, in the world, but not of it, and we think, oh, well, that means I'd be a separatist then, okay? And, and the world is over here, and I am over here. And um, hear me on this, you guys, because I think Christian friends are actually probably one of the top priorities you need to have at this point in your life. Jesus spent immense amount of time with 12 people that were believers, lots of time with them. But he also spent time with people that were of the world. And he would go and he would meet them. He would meet them in their homes. Read the Gospels. He would, he would meet them at the well. He would meet them, um, you know, in the corner where they were, they were being taken to be stoned. That's where he would meet them. He would meet them in their place, in their territory. And so if we're going to pursue the way that Jesus pursues we need to start getting into people's business. The second way that Jesus pursues is he speaks to their needs. On the day that Jesus met Peter, um, he didn't preach to him a five-point sermon because Peter didn't need a five-point sermon. He needed fish, right? And so on the day that he met Peter, you know, he didn't come up to him and say, Peter, I know that you are distraught because you don't have any food for your family, okay, and you didn't catch anything last night, um, but I would love to mentor you. And um, there's a Starbucks down the road. What do you think, right? No. He said, here's some fish, Peter. And you got to understand that in the moment that he met Peter's need, it spoke so much, that outward gesture spoke so much inwardly to Peter because he felt known. He looked at this man and he said, you know what I need. You know what I need. When I was um, coming to the Lord, I was about 18 years old, and uh, I remember that season for myself, right? And um, I was a perfectionist at the time, okay? I, I really struggled um, with anxiety, because I had to be the best at everything. And so, you know, varsity sports and AP classes and good grades and making my parents happy and making my friends happy. Like, I was like a people pleaser to the max. And like, it was wearing me out because I was failing at it, right? And the day I met this girl was the day that kind of changed my life. And her name was Sarah. And I'll never forget her because she had a glass eye and she had a limp because she had a birth defect. And I remember thinking to myself that this woman was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen because she was so free. She was so free. And she would take me and we would sit down for bagels and we would talk and she would ask me about my life and about my dreams. And um, I would ask her lots of hard questions about Jesus. You know, like I didn't understand angels and I didn't understand why Jesus flipped over the table in the temple. Like I don't understand all of these different things. And sometimes she couldn't answer my question. And here's the deal. I didn't need her to be perfect in her answers to me. What I needed in that moment was to understand that God accepted me even though I wasn't perfect and even though I didn't hit tens all the time. That's what I needed. 
And that's what I felt from her because she embraced her imperfections and said, it's okay. The Lord loves me. I have joy. And I remembered meeting her and just being like, oh, my goodness. And I felt like my needs were being met in every conversation that we had. It was like she spoke life and love over me. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, this is what we need to do. And I'll have these conversations, you guys, with my lead team, and we'll sit down. You guys don't know this, but we pray about this body, and we pray over people. And um, I'll sit down, and, and I can't tell you the number of times that they are so aware of the needs here. And they'll say, Jess, we need to pray for this person, or we need to reach out to this person, or this person can't afford groceries. Like, they are so aware of the needs here and the needs of people outside of here. And I hope and I pray that I become actually more like them and that we become more like them, where we are aware of the needs. If we're going to pursue the way that Jesus does, then we speak to the needs of the people around us. The last thing that he does is he invites people into a calling. Jesus pursues the lost, and um, he doesn't just pursue the lost and save them, although he does that, but he saves them, and then he invites them into a life of adventure and calling. It says this in Luke 5, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up from shore and left everything and followed him. In the studies that I've been reading from Barna recently, um, they have been talking about um, the reasons that they have faith in Jesus and the reasons that they retain their faith in Jesus. And most 20-somethings say that they retain faith because they are aware of their gifts and of their calling. People who don't understand that have a more difficult time retaining their faith in this period. And I think sometimes, um, you know, People that don't know Jesus, they think, like, they think that this is kind of like boring or something. Or like you have to give up partying or like I don't even know, right? And it's like, no, like this is the most exciting and adventurous thing that you can ever possibly do. You are invited into a calling. And over the rest of the time, after Jesus pursued Peter, um, the rest of the time that he was with him, he spoke his calling over him. In John 15, he calls him his friend, okay? He's speaking calling over Peter. In Luke 22, he explains to uh, Peter, you're going to be sifted, but then you will go and you will strengthen your brothers. This is your call, Peter. And then he goes on, Matthew 14, he calls Peter out to walk on water. You want to talk about a life of adventure, You want to talk about a life of risk-taking, right? He goes to Matthew 16, and um, Jesus talks to Peter, and this is the point where Peter declares Jesus the Messiah. And he says this, he says, and this is like the crux of Peter's calling for the rest of his life. He says, you, Peter, you're the rock, and on you I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He speaks calling over him. Jesus gets into his business He speaks to his need into his heart, and he invites him into a calling. Jesus is so personal, you guys, in the way that he pursues us. He's so personal. He's so intimate. He knows us so well. And not only that, but in his time with Peter, Peter wasn't always perfect. And so the crux of his relationship and our relationship with Jesus is he forgives us. Throughout Jesus and Peter's friendship on earth, um, the two themes were kind of the first that I talked about, this immense love and pursuit and forgiveness. And um, I just talked all about Peter's call, but there was plenty of times where Jesus had to forgive Peter as well, okay? He had to forgive him 
and reinstate him in his call. In Matthew 16, right after uh, Jesus says to Peter, he says, okay, you're going to be my rock, and I'm going to build my church on you in the gates of hell. Right after he says this to him, okay, Jesus also says, I'm going to be crucified, okay, and, um, and this is going to happen, and I'm going to raise from the dead. And Peter goes, never, Lord, that's never going to happen to you, because he loves Jesus, right? And Jesus rebukes him, and he's like, you don't understand, like, you don't understand the things of heaven. So he rebukes him, but then he forgives him. And in Matthew 26, Jesus says that when he dies, and he's talking to his disciples a second time, he says, when I die, um, you guys will scatter, Okay? You're not going to be by my side as I'm being crucified. You're all going to run away, actually. And um, Peter says, never, Lord. I'm never going to do that. And Jesus says, no, actually, you will. And you'll deny me three times. And uh, fast forward, okay, uh, Jesus is about to be crucified. And picture this. I mean, Peter and him have walked the length of their life. They've spent all this time together. And Jesus is going to the cross, and Peter's following from a distance because he's scared. He's following, you know, he wants to know what's going to happen to his Lord, but he's scared. And he's by a fire pit, and he's warming his hands, and a, a little girl walks up to him, and she says, isn't that your friend up there that's about to be crucified? And he says, no, I, d- I do not know that man. I don't know what you're talking about, is what scripture says. And he denies Jesus three times, and this is what it says in Mark 14. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down, and he wept. And I picture Peter um, in this moment. Like, you guys, he knows that Jesus is Lord. Like, he knows that. Because who else could reach out to him and could be the type of person that he was to him? Right? Who else could do that? Who else could, could heal? Who else could raise people from the dead? Only God. Right? He knows this. And then all of a sudden he realizes that he not only betrayed God, but he betrayed his best friend. And he breaks down and he weeps. And the funny thing, the reason I bring up this part of the story, the funny thing about us and our walk with God and pursuing people with Jesus is the, the longer you are a Christian, the further you go along, the more and more and more you need forgiveness. The more you go through life, the more you live out this life, the more you need Jesus' help, you need his assistance, right? And some of you may be in here and you're thinking, I would love to tell people about Christ, um, you know, but how could I possibly talk about Christ? How could I possibly pursue people? How could I possibly share his name? I mean, look at me. I'm such a mess. And this is how Peter is feeling in this moment. He knows that he's got a calling. He knows that he's supposed to go and build a church. But he's like, oh my goodness, I need forgiveness. And then comes um, my favorite part of the story of Peter and Jesus. And it's found in John 21. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And this is where we're going to camp and where we're going to end the night. Um, Because this is about, and I think this is like the crux and such a beautiful picture of their friendship and of Jesus' love for Peter, and of Peter's response. And this is it, John 21. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples, were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. 
I'm going to go fish. Isn't it interesting that when we make mistakes in life, that when we um, mess up in life, we're like, oh, well, we'll, we'll just go back to fishing, <laughs> right? Like, we'll just go back to the way that life was before. And Peter is a leader, right? And so everybody's going to follow him. He's the oldest, and so the rest of the disciples are like, cool, we're going to go with you. And um, it goes on, and I love this depiction of Jesus and Peter. And it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, and he says, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. I love that. He calls out and he goes, friends. Mind you, he's talking to Peter, who just betrayed him a few days prior. And he yells out, friends, compadres, do you understand that Jesus calls you friend? That he pursues you and that he calls you friend? He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, it is the Lord, he wrapped on his outer garment because he had taken it off and jumped into the water. And the disciples followed him onto the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring the fish that you just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net to shore. And it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third day that, or third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when he finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. Uh, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus had indicated the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Then you guys can come back out. Um, I love this story. I absolutely love this story. Jesus has been um, crucified. He's been buried. He's been in a tomb. But now people are talking, okay? People are talking, and it seems as though Jesus has raised from the dead. And that's at least what everybody's saying. And so Peter and his friends, um, they decide, well, we're just going to go back to fishing because we don't, really don't know what else to do, <laughs> okay? And so they go out onto this boat, and I love it because there's a man standing on the shore, and they can see him from a distance, but they're not sure who it is, okay? And, um, and they're fishing. They're not catching anything. And this man yells out, hey, friends, how's the catch going today? How's everything going? And they're like, uh, we're not catching anything. You know, thanks for rubbing it in. And um, he goes, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And he speaks to them in the same way that he spoke to them when he first pursued them. It's so intimate. It's so personal, this verse. And in that moment, they, they, 
you know, toss it over the, and I think like in their hearts, they like know, they're like, oh my goodness, and they toss it over the side, and they pull in like a huge thing of fish, and Jesus just does it for show, because he's like, I want to, you're my friends, I love you, and get this, he's pursuing them again, and Peter understands this, right, and, and John looks at him, and he's like, I think that's, I think that's him, and Peter hurls himself out of the boat, and what you need to understand, okay, is that um, Peter has just sinned in probably a pretty big way, okay, he's made a mistake in a pretty big way, but hear this, he is so aware of the love of the Father, of the love of Jesus, that he's like, I know he accepts me. I know he loves me. I'm jumping out of this boat, and I'm swimming to shore because I know how he feels about me. I don't even need to question it. And he swims to shore, and it says that Jesus is there, and get this, he is cooking them breakfast. If you have ever wondered, you guys, about what kind of God you serve, you serve the kind of God that you could betray that you could misuse, that you could abuse, um, and who would hug you, who would welcome you, who would love you, and who would cook you breakfast. That's the kind of God. And then he sits down and he starts talking with Peter, and they laugh, and they talk, and they have a good time. And then it kind of gets to that moment, right, where, um, and you've felt this with a best friend maybe, you know, where you're sitting with your friend, and you know that there's a rift between you, but neither one of you wants to bring it up. But they finally kind of break the ice, and they move to the side away from the other disciples. And Jesus looks at him, and he's like, you know, I'm like, you got to think, like, these two are best friends. And he's like, dude, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, I love you, you know. And it's like he's saying he's sorry in that moment. He's like, I'm so sorry, you know. And he's like, okay, then I need you to feed my sheep. And he asks him again. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. I love you. I mean, you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And he says, Peter, he asks again, do you love me? And I, and I picture it. I mean, it says in Scripture that he was hurt. But I picture it like, you know, when you're, like, offended. You're like, oh, gosh. Like, yes, I love you, Jesus. He says, Look after my sheep. And I kind of, as I was reading this story, it made me think about, like, um, at the end of our lives, right? Like, when we know, because Jesus at this point, he knows he's ascending into heaven. And he knows how much he cares about lost people, about how much he cares about the lost sheep, you know, and I was thinking about, like, um, at, the, at my, like, if I know that I'm going to die tomorrow, I'm going to my best friend, and I'm looking him or her in the eye, and I'm saying, hey, do you love me? I mean, we're best friends, right? Then I need you to look after the people I care about. I need you to look after my husband and my kids. And in this moment where Jesus is talking to Peter, he's like, do you love me? And he says, yes. He's like, I need you to look after the people I care about because I'm going somewhere else. I need you to pursue them with me and for me. Tend my sheep. And so like I titled tonight, um, where there is love, where there is the love of God, and there is the love of God in this room, there will be the finding and there will be the tending of sheep. And even though I don't know you, I know your story is very similar to Peter's. I know um, that he found you. I know that he saved you. I know that he pursued you, Jesus pursued you. He knew exactly what you needed at the right time. He knew how to talk to you. He knew how to speak to your need, right? And then he saved you and he called you into something. And you know that he loves you. And so the whole thing right now is pursuing people with the same gusto 
and the same ambition that Jesus had for you. And so tonight, under your chairs, um, there are two cards. And on the first card, what we'd like you to do is just write out a prayer. Just a prayer about somebody in your life or a set of people in your life that you know needs Jesus. And legitimately, you can chicken out from everything else, but you start praying for this person, I promise you things will happen. And you take this card home, write out a prayer for them. You take this card home, put it on your mirror, put it on your dash, and you pray for them for the next month, okay, until September 4th. And you just pray for them. So write out a prayer on that card. And on the other card, what we want you to do is just write down their first name. And for the next month, the lead team and, um, and then our staff is having a month of prayer. We're going to pray for these people in your lives that need to be pursued by Jesus and by us. And um, during this song, we've got a response song. There's baskets up here, and you guys can just um, go. You can put the um, card in the basket, and we will pray with you for these people. Scripture says in 1 John that we love, we care for people because God first loved us us, if you are in here and you have been rocked by the love of God, then tonight is just about giving that back and about pursuing people with the same vigor that he pursued you with, okay? And so for this next song, just sit, pray for those people, write out a prayer, and the baskets are here um, when you're ready to bring up their names.